Hi, I'm Pete McCall. Welcome to All About Fitness. I'm doing this episode as a special edition because I have a very special guest on today. Dr. Mihai Csikszentmihalyi is a distinguished professor of psychology at the Claremont Graduate School in Southern California. Dr. Csikszentmihalyi is the author of Flow, The Psychology of Optimal Experience. He is one of the groundbreaking researchers in this field of how we can achieve a flow state and how we can use it to improve happiness in our lives. I'm not going into much of an introduction, but we'll wrap up a little discussion about flow and a little clarification about our conversation today. So it's my honor and all about fitness to welcome Dr. Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. What uh, uh, we call flow is a particular experience that people feel when they are doing something that is challenging and uh, uh, difficult, but that they feel, the person feels they have the skills. Uh, If they do things right, they will they will be able to reach that goal uh, that uh, they they do have. And this uh, can be any type of goal. I mean, for a child, um, if you look at a, a, a small infant who um, first time that is able to turn on the light by moving a switch on the wall and see suddenly, uh, suddenly he or she makes light and then she, she went dark again and light again and dark again. It's, it's, they learn that the child learns, wow, I, I, I can make this happen. You know, this is incredible. I, I can make light. I can make dark. And this, uh, happens, uh, then with any new thing that we can, uh, master any any change in the environment or in um or even in thinking you know we 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 are able to now think about things that before we had no idea existed and now we are playing around with ideas and so forth so this is uh the kind of uh, reward of being alive of being alive and being a certain having certain skills or certain abilities to, to act in the world. And it's what makes us go in a way, even though most of the time we, we take it for granted and we don't realize that what we do is really pretty uh, un, uh, amazing from certain point of view. But we usually... Uh, when we start stagnating, when we don't do anything new or anything difficult, then we are kind of uh, no longer living to the full, and and then we start feeling depressed and hopeless and so forth. So it is good to be able to act in the world, either uh, by making new things happen, like an artist uh, who creates something that didn't exist, or a scientist who can make a a new uh, technology or a new machine or a new product through uh, uh, his work, then 
uh, and of course, as parents, we bring we we have children, which are amazing. To, uh, you know, the ability to to reproduce and to to bring up children and so forth. So all of this is part of being alive and being uh, able to develop ways of relating to the world and learning and acting and, and so forth. And sports are one of the most obvious ways in which we can uh, show who we are, what we can do by, by running faster than we did before or jumping higher than we did before or throwing uh, a weight or a discus. Uh, you know, these are uh, ex expressions of who we are, expressions. I am somebody who can do this. I am somebody who can do that. I I, I run faster than I did uh, a week ago. Um, and or I can run faster than the other people who I compete against. So these are, this is um, an expression, uh, all of these activities are expressions of what you can do and what uh, the person can do, and therefore it defines who we are. It shows who we are. We exist. We can do these things, and that's the kind of person we are. Uh, so that's the short answer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, to default to ask that because did you come across flow states? If I if I read correctly, weren't you studying happiness? I think you're you're. From the point of view of, of where your work was, you were looking at, at psychology. A lot of psychology focused on what was wrong with us, and, and I think as a psychologist, you were one of the first ones, if, if I'm mistaken. If I'm, but you were one of the first ones who looked at happiness and, and how do we pursue happiness? Isn't that how you kind of came across the flow states? Uh, no, it's the other way around. I, because of the flow state, which I started describing uh, 25 years ago. Um, uh, by doing that, I began to say, hey, uh, why don't we have more of this in everyday life? Why can't we experience this state more often? And in trying to to do that, uh, I realized that most of psychology is uh, focused on alleviating pathology to making people normal. But most of the people who are normal are not very, uh, either very happy or <laughs> very, uh, uh, very uh, feel that their life is worth living, you know. And so I said, this has psychology is missing something here, and uh, I realized that there were other people who feel like that and they felt in the past like Abraham Maslow and Carl Jung and so forth and then uh, one winter when I was working, uh, taking off with my wife in, in Hawaii for the holidays, winter holidays uh, I ran into a guy at the beach who said, oh, aren't you Mike Chicks and me? I said, yes. 
and he turned out to be the president-elect of the American Psychological Association, Martin Seligman. And so we started talking. There was not that much to do on the beach. Uh, <laughs> uh, and we talked and we had dinner with our wives. Uh, I had my wife, he had her, his wife. And so for the first uh, next few days, that our vacations overlapped, we spent a lot of time talking about what psychology should be, and because he was then, as I say, he was just becoming then um, uh, the president of the APA, uh, American Psychological Association, we, he, um, we kind of agreed that this would be a good idea. I mean, I think he would have done it anyway, but uh, he wanted to leave a legacy for his presidency, and so he supported uh, this, this new position that we shared about we needed a more positive uh, emphasis on psychology and, and uh, not to replace the old kind of pathology-oriented psychology, but to enrich it because it it would tell us what we can aspire once we are kind of more or less normal, you know, that what is beyond normal in a sense. And uh, the, the um, so that worked out well. He uh, was able to change a lot. Uh, of psychology by uh, supporting this viewpoint and I ended up starting the first uh, graduate program uh, in psychology and then Marty Seligman started also one at uh, uh, UPenn where he is teaching but their program is only to the master's level, and we have a PhD program on positive psychology here at Claremont, uh, and uh, it's been fun. It's been great fun because we get some excellent students applying who want to uh, felt constrained in a certain to some extent by the psychologists. It's uh, uh, was defined until recently, and and they wanted to to look at the bright side of life, and and that's what we are trying to do. And uh, as I say, we have some excellent students who are beginning to publish and and uh, write, and I hope we can survive and. Uh, Prosper for a, for a while and affect the way psychology is practiced. And, and well, I, well, I think you're already having a, a significant impact, and because the idea, even though you've been studying this for for 25 years or so, for the past you know few months, you know, past maybe half a year, a number of other, you know, as an educator in the fitness industry, I've heard a number of other educators, and we go around, we teach trainers and fitness people how to do fitness and teach fitness. But I've heard other people refer to flow. And is, is exercise, you know, in your golden rule, one of your golden rules for triggers, 
one of the ways to, to achieve flow is by challenging the skills and focusing on and another way is to focus on the present moment. So in that sense, is using exercise in general and maybe like a challenging workout program specifically, are those effective ways to kind of to change the way people feel and, and to, to work towards a flow state? Well, um, sure. I mean, partly it means that whoever deals with children should be paying a lot of attention to the individual child. If you are a parent uh, or a teacher, you should, uh, mostly a parent though, um, you should kind of uh, realize what turns your child on and try to use that both as a leverage for uh, developing the child's feeling of uh, self-esteem that, yeah, okay, what I do is interesting or meaningful or uh, and uh, I can do it well because here the, my, my father or mother are, are interested in it and they support it and they try to give me uh, more challenge uh, once I finished doing what I, I I'm First, I, I have to master what I'm doing now and then uh, raise a little bit of the challenge and, and so forth. One, one of the most interesting little books written on this was actually by um, Aldous Huxley, hmm. who wrote a book called Island, which is not as well known as his more famous ones, but... Island is is a story of a group of British middle class families taking a, a kind of a vacation on a on a ship um, uh, go, going around the world, and the ship um, uh, for some reason ends up. Uh, Springing a leak when they are approaching an island in the, uh, somewhere in the Galapagos or something way out uh, from civilization, and uh, before the ship sinks, everybody gets into the boats and uh, and, uh, and row, uh, they row to the island. And the island is deserted, and they have to make a living there. But uh, these are all kind of uh, intellectuals or middle-class people who want their children to to be educated and and brought up. Uh, and they have small children with them, and they have to develop a school for them. And, and the parents decide that the most important thing to do for them is to teach them to do rock climbing because there are lots of rocks in the island. It's a kind of a mountainous volcanic island. And, and why rock climbing? Because, okay, what you learn are the basic things there. Namely, the basic things is that you are responsible for your own life, but you can also trust your life to someone who will trust his life 
in your hands or her life in your hands. And if you learn that, that you are responsible for your life and you are responsible for other people's life, you are going to be well set and for <laughs> it's the basic thing on which to build some uh, uh, future. And so that's what they do, and uh, it turns out to be a very successful thing. The kids uh, learn to take their life in their hands and to take the life of other people in their hands by being at the other end of the rope, which they rescued from the ship before the, uh, the ship sank. But anyway, the... Um, this uh, this little book uh, is not well known, but I think as a as a, a primer in early education, it's uh, it's it's really on the on, on the money. Now we can't do that because we are not shipwrecked, <laughs> and, and so we don't want to risk our kids' lives to bring them up. But um, in in it has. It has the. Uh, it may not be actually um, rock climbing, but uh, the thing is that you have to to transmit to the child a sense that they have their life in their own hands, that they are not just travelers and kind of privileged travelers. Uh, uh, who, whose needs are going to be taken care of, and they don't have much responsibility except to do well in school and uh, whatever that means, you know. But in here, learning is part of surviving, you know, and it's uh, we we forget that that uh, all of the math and the history and the uh, whatever we learn in school are kind of a privileged uh, uh, entryway into the history of humanity and the the people who wrote those books or who did those experiments often risked their lives or uh, were committed to do, to write down what they learned um, and but they they went through uh it wasn't an easy thing for them to even survive and many of them uh were um, even even recently i mean if you look at the Let's say the Curie, the, uh, um, Mary Curie and her husband, who um, developed X-rays and many other things in this, uh, that helped humanity. They uh, they dedicated themselves to this because they thought it was important, but they risked their lives. I mean, they went. Uh, with a bunch of donkeys in the mountains of uh, Bohemia, where uh, they knew that there were radioactive uh, minerals there, and they 
they uh, uh, excavated this uh, radioactive stuff and put it in uh, in sacks and boxes that they attached to the donkeys, and then they spent a month going back to France. And they, uh, by the time they built the first radio, a radio. Uh, X-ray machines. Before they built that, they they almost died because of the radiation, which they didn't know that would affect them uh, that much. But uh, they learned the hard way because they they were uh, kind of crippled by the X-rays. Uh, but they did build the first. Uh, diagnostic machines that could actually uh, take pictures of the inside of people's bodies and so forth. So whether they are astronomers or or they are uh, uh, biologists or whatever, the people who advance science often did risk their lives to to get to the knowledge. So this little book by Huxley is not not uh, so far-fetched, except that it, uh, it's based on starting that way from preschool, in a sense. <laughs> um, and, uh, so anyway, it's, uh, knowledge is, is power, but it's also... Uh, uh, can be dangerous if it's misunderstood or misused, and of course, the misused is more often the case. You know, people uh, take knowledge to build weapons instead of protecting us from uh, natural disasters. <laughs> natural. Yeah. That can definitely be. And, and before before we run out of time, Professor, I want to really respect your time. Um, can you just tell us a little bit? I want to ask specifically about about your recent book, Running Flow. Um, how can what is what's one way in using running? Because running is an activity that many people can do and, and, and many right. people enjoy. How can somebody? What's one way that running can be used to kind of achieve or promote the flow state or of, of finding a flow state? Well, yeah, it's. Um we know that people who do get into the practice the habit of running uh, regularly uh, uh, benefit from it in many ways but the thing is that these are people who are not forced to run but chose to do it choose to do it and and um like Almost anything, I think, is uh, anything that promotes flow uh, has to either start as a choice, uh, personal, or should has to become a personal choice uh, after they try it. Uh, We know of people, for instance, who don't want to. Run, but their um, uh, older sibling or parent uh, push them to 
to um, um, get out and, and start doing some running, and they don't really like it at first, but if they catch on and they say, hey, I really feel better after I do this, so I will start, I, I will look forward to doing the next run and so forth. If it becomes voluntary, then um, it will contribute to uh, you know, not only physically, but also uh, it will become a source of uh, enjoyment and uh, long-term well-being. But how you do that? Well, um, even if you are forced to do it at first, it's important that whoever makes you run doesn't uh, um, try to shock you into running by making it uh, a, a real difficult thing to do at first. Uh, or something too simple that that doesn't uh, seem worth doing because you don't feel at all different after you run. So you have to, it should be a run that makes you at the end, makes you feel, wow, I I didn't think I could do that. I felt really kind of a little... uh, on the edge there, uh, almost too much, but but I did it, and that that's the sweet spot between under challenge and over challenge, and uh, that sweet spot is is very important. And if you have uh, children or you are, you have uh, responsibility for children. You have to know that if you uh, if you try to get them to run too much or too fast at first, after a while the child gets turned off, and you don't realize that you are actually shutting off a future of uh, uh, productive running by making it too hard at first, too too stressful. Uh so it's it's um there are there are things that are kind of okay at uh when the child is very young but it becomes boring later out uh, if you don't uh raise the ante or uh, there are things that are too too demanding at first, and then they won't do it again unless they're forced to do it. For instance, we we had two kids who, um, two boys who, um, we don't uh, didn't really uh, challenge them physically much except by hiking, and and we taught them also to climb. Uh, I, I was a climber when I was a teenager. And uh, so um, they they uh, liked to do it at an easy pace at first. Then when we didn't, um, if I tried to do something too difficult, they didn't like it. But I... 
I learned that after they moved on to college and so forth, they they went back to doing timing on their own and they um, at their own pace and they they did that okay and um, but even earlier, for instance, we took we uh, took them to the zoo. We were close to a, a major zoo in Chicago. And, and they loved us when they were young, three, four, or five years old. They they loved to see the animals and so. But then we noticed that they were more and more reluctant to go to the zoo when they were eight, seven, eight years, and nine years old. And finally, it was it became very very obvious that they didn't want to go. So we sat down with them and asked why. Um, you don't want to go to Israel anymore? And they say, well, you know, uh, actually, we love the animals, but we feel very sad to see them in the cage. And hmm. so at the end of the, uh, the trip at the zoo, we feel sad, and hmm. we don't didn't want to feel that. So um, that's uh, kind of the opposite uh you didn't realize that your kid is no longer seeing the same uh, the uh, activity is not the same for them because they know too much they they have developed emotionally to the point where they realize they empathize with the uh, the animals and they feel sad that they are caged and so. So these are things that you don't notice unless you pay attention to to the children and and you learn what is uh, suddenly changed for them because they have realized that they they mature enough to empathize to feel that this is is kind of wrong or or not quite right and um so uh, the the major thing is uh, to keep track of your child learning and developing and then realizing that some things are no longer ap- appropriate for them or or either because they are too simple and too boring, or because the same activity suddenly has changed in meaning for them, and you know, you need to find something else that is appropriate for their development. For uh, I said, so yeah, it, being a parent is not <laughs> not a simple thing, and it's really a an art and the profession that you have to take seriously and and learn from it and and make sure that you're not interfering or uh, or under utilize uh, 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 that you're not challenging them enough or challenging too much or the right, wrong way you know it's so it's fun to be a parent, but uh, it's not easy. Well, Professor, I really, really appreciate your insights on flow. I really appreciate your expertise and your work in the area. 
And I'm going to have a link uh, down below to a couple of your books. So if people are interested in learning a little bit more about flow and the flow states and, and how they can help uh, others achieve them, they can definitely use your, uh, use your work as a source of reference. Okay, thank you. As you can tell, Dr. Chick Semihai is not a native speaker of English. So hopefully you could understand what we're talking about. Now, one point of clarification, during the interview, I kept wondering why he referred to kids, why he, he, a couple of times he referred to, well, for kids, we want to achieve flow state. And I think that fault is mine because when we're setting up the interview, when I went back and listened to the tape and I, I told him, I told Dr. Csikszentmihalyi, I wanted to talk about the role that flow plays in the aging process. Now, in my mind, I was talking about the role of flow states and how we can achieve flow states throughout the adult aging process as we get into our 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond. And I think the doctor understood you know, or heard me say aging process and thought it meant kids. So a couple of those answers came back to discussing flow state in kids. Now, at first, I was thinking about not using the interview. But I, first of all, I, I respected his time. I really I, I respect the fact he gave me 35, 40 minutes of his time. So I didn't feel right in not, not running the interview. And second, I just got finished uh, editing Gray Cook's, um, the podcast I did with Gray Cook. And at the end of my conversation with Gray, Gray talks about the role that movement plays in kids. He goes into, we get into a whole discussion about how we take movement away from kids and why movement is so important to, to a child's life. So it made sense to me that since that was the end of my conversation with Gray Cook, that the next podcast I put up, be it with Dr. Chick sent me high, where he's discussing flow state with an application of the flow state to kids. Because a lot of my listeners, like myself, I think a lot of listeners out there, you probably have kids. And, and I think, you know, understanding what flow is, number one, and I'm going to go into that in a, in a minute here, but understanding what flow is and understanding and, and kind of learning some things that we can do to help our kids achieve flow and maybe what we can do ourselves to achieve flow can help us maybe you know, use exercise, not necessarily to, to lose weight or any of that stuff, but use exercise to achieve a better mental state. And that's getting a little bit out of my wheelhouse. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a mental health expert by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> not, not by a long shot, but the point is I want people to think about using exercise not as a means to an end, but as part of a process to just to be, have a healthier life. You know, the tagline that I like to use is exercise gives you freedom. Being fit gives you freedom. And I have to be 100% honest that I was first introduced to the concept of flow states only a few months ago by John Wolf from On It. In my interview with him, John Wolf talked about flow and he referred me to a book called The Rise of Superman by an author, Stephen Kotler. Well, after reading Rise of Superman and after reading um, Catching Fire, which is Steve Kotler's second book on the topic of flow, I've been reading more and more about flow states. I'll probably be doing a, a couple talks about exercise and flow, and I'm going to be writing an article about you know using exercise to achieve flow state. So I've been doing a little research in the, that area, and I thought I'd just go straight to the source and reach out to Dr. Csikszentmihalyi to see if he'd be interested in, in talking about it. For those of you that aren't familiar with what flow is, Flow is, you know, kind of a, a state where things happen easily. It's what athletes achieve. The Rise of Superman by Stephen Kotler talks about extreme athletes and how they become hyper-focused. About a flow state is where you really lose track of time. You lose track of self. You lose sense of self. You're focused on the now. And if you think about what extreme athletes do, 
you know, jumping out of an airplane, go flying down a mountain on a mountain bike, you know, go flying down a mountain on skis. You can't worry about what you did yesterday. You can't be too focused on what you're doing tomorrow, but you got to be caught up in the here and now. So, you know, to take a look at, you know, to take a look at what, you know, kind of some flow triggers are, you know, Kotler, you know, writes about it. And again, a lot of Kotler's work is based on what he's termed the flow genome project, which is kind of an evolution of what Csikszentmihalyi started studying 30 years ago. So that's how this kind of all comes together. But really what, what's happening is when you're in a flow state, well, number one, a flow state is initiated by certain triggers. There has to be some risk involved. There has to be some novelty. You're doing something new. There has to be some complexity, some unpredictability. And when you look at that, you know, certain exercises can bring that about. Dr. Csikszentmihalyi's recent book was on running, you know, kind of achieving a flow state through running. And I'm going to have a link to that down in the show notes below because you can use running. But you can also look at the CrossFit. I think CrossFit is an excellent example of achieving a flow state. Because in CrossFit, the different wads from day to day, obviously, if you're lifting heavy weight, there's a certain risk in it. If you're doing different workouts, there's a novelty and there's a certain complexity and unpredictability. So it kind of meets those needs. And those aren't all the, the triggers for flow, but there's just some of them that, that I wanted to highlight. Those meet the needs. And what flow states do, you know, if you pursue a flow state, it, it's a state of feeling, but it, it's brought on by certain neurotransmitters. You know, it's norepinephrine, dopamine, you know, endorphins, oxytocin, serotonin. These are all neurotransmitters that change brain chemistry. And here's what, that's what exercise does. And a lot of us don't realize that. You know, there's a couple of my future guests coming up. We, we go into a little bit of the neurophysiology and the chemistry of, of chemistry of exercise science. Because I don't think a lot of people realize that when we exercise, we're changing, number one, we're changing the structure of our cells. Mechanical forces change the structure of our cells. Bone cells, fascia cells, muscle cells change as a result of forces we put into it. That term is mechanotransduction. But also, too, we're changing, you know, the chemical physiology, the neurophysiology, the hormones in, your, in our body. You know, flow is brought on by certain neurotransmitters. You know, neurotransmitters are another type of chemical. Neurotransmitters and hormones are simply just, you know, chemicals that cause certain tissue changes in the body. I have an upcoming uh, podcast where I go into understanding different hormones that affect our body. So I wanted to have Dr. Csikszentmihalyi in here to talk about flow states. And even though he kind of geared the conversation towards kids, I think that there's a lot that we can learn from what we discuss and a lot that we have to realize that we can find flow in our daily lives. You know, since my conversation with John Wolf and since I started going down this avenue a couple months ago, I've gotten back on my mountain bike and I'm working on a couple projects right now. What I'm finding is if I go for a little, you know, 35 to 60 minute mountain bike ride, which isn't long by mountain biking standards, but it's on a hill right behind my house here in North County, San Diego. If I do that, then I find that I'm much more productive during the day. And what I've really started doing is to take it a step further and start adding meditation to that. Because meditation can be a key way to achieve flow. Kotler writes about that in his books, and he refers to that in his website on the Flow Genome Project, is that meditation can be a way that we can kind of set the mind right to achieve a flow state. And so what I've been playing around with is meditation and exercise. How does meditation and exercise work? And can that initiate, you know, initiate a flow state? 
you know, I don't, you know, don't know for sure. And I'm certainly not doing any kind of validity research. I'm not going to try to publish this, but it's just playing around with it. So a couple of times in group fitness classes for people to take group fitness classes, that's maybe why I've had you meditate for a minute before we, we exercise. I want you to think about the process because one of the flow triggers is you're focusing on what you're doing. You're being in the moment. One of the flow triggers is you're focused on the here and now. You know, think about that extreme athlete. Think about that, you know, think about a professional athlete playing basketball, for example. You know, you're focused on the here and now. You're hyper-focused on what you're doing. Your brain's shutting down. You know, you can read Kotler's book. You can read Csikszentmihalyi's work to really understand the, the neurophysiology and the chemistry of what's going on. But the brain's shutting down to allow you to focus on what you're doing right now. And I think we need more of that in our lives. I think we need that ability to shut out you know, extra noise. Oh, now that I think about it, the podcast is kind of extra noise. But anyway, you're le- you're listening to this so you can learn at- learn a little bit more about the flow state. But what I think we need to be able to do is is work more on the process. You know, from my reading on flow, you know, I'm really starting to think that maybe we're getting exercise wrong. I mean, yes, we need to have some goals. Yes, if if you if you need to be healthier and you need to lose a certain amount of weight to support health, absolutely have a goal of losing. But be specific about a weight loss goal. Saying I want to lose some weight is not specific. You know, be specific about a goal that you want to achieve from exercise. And then once you set a goal, take a step back and focus on the process. Focus on the process of the workout. You know, what I'm playing around with, you know, the meditation aspect of it is, you know, and I'm finding that to me, it's easier to deadlift a few hundred pounds than it is to meditate for five to seven minutes. I've said that before with a couple different guests. But meditation before exercise what I'm finding allows me to kind of achieve a flow state. So I'm hyper-focused on what I'm doing during the workout. It doesn't mean the workout's super hard. doesn't mean that I'm doing anything unusual. And, and let's be honest, I am not trying to get a beach body. I am not trying to, you know, be putting half-naked selfies of myself all over social media. That's the furthest thing from what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do is play around with ways that we can enhance, use fitness to enhance our life. Use fitness to give us the ability to do what we want to do. And I think understanding flow states and how to achieve the flow state is a key component of that. And that's going to be something I challenge you as a listener to do. What can you do differently about exercise? If we're always hung out, I need to do this workout. I need to do this high-intensity interval training. I need, I need this outcome from exercise. Take a step back. If you enjoy exercise, focus on the process. If you enjoy going to a class because the instructor's fun and engaging and high energy, Enjoy the process. Don't worry about the outcome. Enjoy the process. Enjoy that cycling class. Enjoy that yoga class. Enjoy that workout with a trainer. Enjoy that walk with your dogs. You know, don't worry so much about, okay, this is going to, you know, don't worry so much about the outcome. That's a lot of extra noise. But if you can make time for exercise, if you can make time for physical activity, take a moment before you start, reflect on what you're about to do. Try to drive focus to drive your focus to being in the moment and enjoy the process. And if you want to achieve different flow states or if you want to kind of work towards that, then you have to challenge yourself a little bit. Exercise should be a little complex. Exercise should be a little risky. That doesn't mean hanging upside down by one arm off a building like you can see some of the, uh, the, the rooftop parkour guys do on YouTube. But what it means is do something different. Do a workout that you haven't done before. You know, maybe take a class you haven't done before. And I'll, I'll, I'm going to put that challenge to myself. I'll challenge myself to do that too. Kind of put my money where my mouth is. 
right now or for the last few months, I've been focusing on bombing, uh, doing a little bit of bombing on mountain bikes to try to get that flow state. But we can also do that in, in class, in group fitness. So I wanted to explain a little bit about uh, the interview with Dr. Csikszentmihalyi. I certainly appreciated his time. I think we had a little miscommunication, definitely from my end. Um, and I didn't want to didn't want to spike the interview. I wanted to use it because I still think there's valuable information in there. And if you're not familiar with the flow state, then I'm gonna have a couple book titles down below in the uh, in the show notes. Obviously, I'm gonna have some of Dr. Csikszentmihalyi's work. I'm gonna have his recent work on running in the flow state. I'm going to have Stephen Kotler's work. I'm going to have Rise of Superman. Because I think Rise of Superman is a good kind of introduction to the concept of flow and how you can start working to achieve more flow in your life. I'm also going to have a link to his Flow Genome Project so you can find out a little bit more about that and learn about that. So, again, this was a special edition of All About Fitness. Normally, I try to do them in sequential order. I had some stuff already lined up, um, which is why I don't have it numbered. I just wanted to throw this out there because the conversation I had with Gray, and we ended up talking about movement with kids, and it seemed, so it seemed to make sense that talking about if, I'm, you know, if I have a, the noted professor in the field talking about flow state with kids, then that becomes the next podcast in the series. If you have any comments or feedback, please, by all means, Feel free to send them to me, Pete, at PeteMcCallFitness.com. You can find me on Twitter, PeteMC underscore fitness. That's on Twitter. And my Instagram is PeteMcCall underscore fitness. So I really uh, appreciate you taking the time to listen to this. I got some really killer interviews coming up. Not only with Dr. Csikszentmihalyi, well, he was, I was really surprised and, and honored when he gave me his time, but I have some really cool content I'm working on. So uh, if you're new listener to All About Fitness, Please keep checking in and keep checking back regularly. And I look forward to having you stop by for future episodes. Take care and have a healthy day.